And uh, you all take a seat here, and uh, you get your microphones there. We're going to just take a few minutes and let you all get to know our missionaries more on a a one-on-one level. And so we have some prepared questions. And, uh, you know, oftentimes with missionaries, I've mentioned this already, but oftentimes with our missionaries, we, uh, we can forget that they're real people behind that offering that we provide. And I know that we'll walk past a map like the one in the back, and we'll see the world map, and we'll see the little red flags indicating the 53 missionaries we support, and we'll just walk right past it. And I'm not guilt-tripping anyone who just walks right past it. Some of you are intimidated by the technology there, but we can walk right past it, or maybe we walk past the track rack in the lobby where the um, uh, prayer cards of some of our missionaries sit, and uh, we walk right past it and don't even notice. And uh, if we're not careful, Brother uh, Tomlinson last night, you talked about looking, the importance of looking. And uh, the purpose of this time right now is to sort of pull back the curtain and help all of us see where our mission dollars are going. They're not just going to faceless people. They're going to folks who are real people who have needs and hurts and victories and uh, boy, they accomplish some great things. Uh, they struggle sometimes, and uh, they see souls saved. And boy, there are people we need to think about and pray about and reach out to. I'll say this before we get into the questionnaire time. You know, with technology where it is, if you have a smartphone and you're pretty good at using that thing, there really isn't an excuse for us to not communicate with our missionaries. Um, apps like WhatsApp and Telegram and even iMessage, if you have an iPhone and that missionary has an iPhone, uh, the world has gotten so much smaller. And while we maybe can't climb on a plane and fly to them every week, we definitely can reach out to them. And this is just a great time to be reminded of that. So sit attentively and do your best to listen. I know we have some babies in the room this evening, and those children are welcomed in here. Uh, but uh, be, be mindful of, uh, of any distractions of those around you and um, we, uh, we want to make sure to provide a pleasant experience for everyone. The last thing I would say is that if you have a cell phone in here, put that thing on silent before we get any further. If you're not sure if it's on silent or not, just take it out and check and, um, and make sure it is. Now, I'm going to say that my phone's going to go off, so I better make sure mine's on silent. I think I left mine in the baptistry, so we're okay. Um, it's drowning in the bat. No, it's sitting back there somewhere. Uh, but uh, make sure your phones are on silent if you could, and uh, we'll, have, we'll have a pleasant time. Uh, this evening. So I want to start with a question. This has been for everyone. And, uh, missionaries, I'll let you decide, husband or wife, answer. We'll start on the end there with Brother Magnarella. And um, if you think that your wife, maybe your wife, um, in some cases the husband and the wife need to answer the question, and uh, we welcome uh, the wives to answer it as well, if applicable here. Brother Magnarella, we'll start with you. How did God lead you to become a missionary? Well... In college, of course, I uh, heard a bunch of preaching and things, and it was through preaching. But then also a friend of mine in college, his dad was on the Navajo Reservation, been on the Navajo Reservation for years, and he was raised there. And so every year during our spring break, I was so far away from home, I was just always game to go anywhere. So we used to go out to his dad's place and preach and be there on the reservation. And from being there on the Navajo Reservation... I found out about the Hopi Reservation. Now, his dad was a bit disappointed in me because he thought I was going there to help him. Um, And it needs a lot of help where he's at still. 
but um, the Hopi Reservation is about 10,000 people and 70 square miles, about 100 miles away from any big town and very far away from any other good churches, and there is very little gospel there at all, and the Lord opened up a door for us to go. And I also volunteered. The Lord said, Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance. And I asked him to let me go. Amen. Now, Miss Nancy, brother, brother Andrew, you, you went to the mission field single, and you were there several years. How many years were you there prior to meeting Nancy? Something like nine. Okay. And then uh, God blessed you with a, a wonderful wife. And so, Miss Nancy, tell us. <laughs> Amen. Um, tell us how you two met and then uh, your call to the mission field as well. Um, he was sent out of Windsor Hills Baptist Church in Oklahoma City, and he was back there reporting like he is, I guess kind of like here, at a missions conference, right? Yeah, on furlough, and my family had started going to church there after he left, so we met there when he was back, back there for a missions conference, and about a week and a half later we were dating. I think so. <laughs> so, um, my call to missions, when I was about 15 or 16, I felt the Lord burdened me for missions, and I never could figure out where or what exactly, so I just always felt like God wanted me to do something with missions, so when I met him and he was already a missionary, it was perfect. That's great. So, did you marry him because you had pity on him or because you, you thought well, he was handsome? Well, maybe a little bit. you two make a great couple and god's given you two wonderful children and uh i know the first time i met you and uh brother andrew i don't think you were married and the next time i met you you were i have to say you were much happier the second time (laughs) so not that you were not the first time but just on another level the second time so brother tomlinson how did god lead you to become a, a missionary well um Neither, I, I mentioned last night that I believe that God has uh, been preparing me this for, for what we're doing now, our entire ministry. But when I say preparing me, really, there's no me without us. Um, you know, that Gail and I are, are we're, we're one. And um, neither one of us were raised in a Christian home. And so, really, neither one of us knew much at all about what we were doing when we got into the ministry. Um I got saved. I was had a plan in a different direction for for my life, but um, God began to deal with my heart about <clears throat> about serving Him. A pastor sent me off to Bible college, and I met my wife, uh, met Gail, and we got married. And so we um, we started a church in Redwood City, California, which is in the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, I had been sa- I'd been saved. I saved the age of 20. I was 24 years old. When we started the church. She got saved at 16, and really neither one of us knew really much about at all about um, about what we were doing. The Lord was preparing us, <clears throat> so we moved to a city where we knew, we knew no one, had uh, never been there before. We uh, we didn't have any support. We had $50 a month for six months, and that was it. Uh, I got got a job, got another job. We started having kids. We started knocking on doors, uh, rented a building, started that church. And God was preparing us, teaching mm-hmm. us about the ministry and teaching us about, you know, what, uh, how to serve him. And then uh, later the church was running a few hundred in, in attendance, and um, um, God had blessed it tremendously. And so 
we took a missions trip to uh, Hong Kong and Taiwan and to Korea. And while in Hong Kong, the Lord just opened my eyes to the fact that there were people, uh, millions and millions of people who had never heard the gospel. And I just couldn't get, couldn't get that off of our heart. So we came back to the States. I tried sending a couple of staff members, uh, called a couple of staff members into my, into my office and said, hey, I believe God's called you to go to Hong Kong as a missionary. <laughs> and uh, one guy, Mike, Mike Lin was his name, and uh, Mike just said, you know, preacher, I, I, I don't believe I'm called, you know. <laughs> and, but he had, he had told me before that he wanted to be a missionary someday, and he wanted to work on our staff for a while, then go to the mission field. I said, hey, this is it. God wants you to go to Hong Kong. And he said, uh, you know, I, 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 I don't think it's for me. And so finally we came to the conclusion that um, I needed to stop sending, trying to send other people to do what God told us to do. And so we went to Hong Kong. And in Hong Kong, we started the Diet Singing Jamsun Kaui. And uh, for those of you that don't speak Cantonese, that's First Bible Baptist Church. And so we started that church. And then there was where God showed us that that there's a need for foreign missions, missionaries, but it's not to pastor Chinese churches. The need for foreign missionaries is to help Chinese people pastor their own churches. And so God began to really, that, that's where I learned that. You know, I didn't know that. And so we turned that church, uh, I just realized how much more effective a Chinese person would be uh, in this ministry than, than I was. And so we turned that church over to a, to a Chinese man. And uh, we actually, while we were there, we, we ended up uh, starting two churches and having two services, an English service and a Chinese service. And the Chinese service is now, um, it was now pastored by a Chinese man, English by a, a Filipino man, because it was Filipinos that were there. Those, both of those churches are still going today. And so we came back to the States, pastored for 25 years, and then came, went back out there again. But I think that God was using all of that process to show us what our, our final life work was going to be. That's great. That's great. So it sounds like it was a long time coming. Yeah. yeah. Yes, sir. Amen. Brother Rowe, take a minute and tell us, how did the Lord call you uh, into the work of being a missionary? Well, I think there are principally three men that uh, God used in my life. Uh, first of all was a pastor by the name of uh, Guy Templeton. Um, he was a graduate of Tennessee Temple Schools. Uh, back in the 70s, and he was my pastor when I was in junior high and senior high school. And he encouraged me um, to really seek God's will for my life, and he encouraged me to go to Bible college, and I didn't go to Bible college. I went to State University, and I graduated, and and I was um, active in our church. I taught a Sunday school class. I was a deacon. I was single. I was a public school teacher, and I farmed um, on uh, evenings and Saturdays. And so I was busy, but I never really had a, 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 a real peace about what I was doing. Um, didn't think that uh, it was going to matter much that, um, you know, I had a 140 bushel corn crop the acre corn crop uh, or a fat uh, sold um, 30 head of fat cattle maybe in a year. Uh, probably God wouldn't be too impressed with that. Nothing wrong with those things. But I met a fellow several years later. He, he was my pastor for a short time. And some of you maybe know him. His name was uh, Don Hodge. Don Hodge had been a missionary to Canada, and he would go back to Canada. And actually, my first trip outside of the United States was to Canada. Uh, and so later we began work together. But he was the one that introduced me to the ministry at First Baptist Church in Milford, Ohio, and the ministry of Dr. Charles King. And Dr. King was my pastor for 15 years 
and uh, really a short time before we left to go as missionaries to Canada, and we spent five and a half years there. And uh, Dr. King was just a missionary, uh, just a missionary pastor, and I learned a lot of things from Dr. King, and um, I was challenged by Brother Don Hodge, and the the fellow that really planted the seed in my life uh, was uh, Brother Guy Templeton. So it was a process. It was a process. It was a process. Um, but um, anyway, God always, uh, he always lets us in on, he always, he wants us to know his will probably a lot more than we want to know it. And when we follow what will we already know, then he continues to shine the light out a little bit further ahead of us. Amen. And he doesn't drop everything on us at the same time. So I think it's a process for all of us, really. But we just obey God, and uh, um, where we stop obeying God, God, Dr. King always said this: He's not going to, uh, He's not going to educate you much beyond your obedience level. That's good. That's good. That's great. Amen, brother. Brother Deku, take a minute and tell us how you made it to the mission field, how God led you to become a missionary. I grew up as a missionary kid. I was eight years old, and we became missionaries to Singapore. And uh, Singapore is a huge uh, country, like uh, Hong Kong. They were in Australia for four years, and then we were in Fiji. I was in Fiji for five years. I went to Bible college, and I prayed like this, Lord, I'll be whatever you want me to be except a missionary. I don't want to be a missionary. And, uh, you know, I knew God was tugging on my heart uh, to be a missionary. And uh, I said, here am I, Lord. Send him. Here, my Lord, send her. And Lord, Lord, you know, so-and-so would do a better job uh, than me. But you know, the truth is, is that um, God makes no mistakes. And when God calls us, he makes no mistake. And uh, I believe outside of salvation and outside of marrying my wife, the best decision I made was to say yes to God's call. And it was when I came to the point where I realized that we serve an almighty God. We serve a God who can do anything. So when we simply say yes to his will, he can do the impossible. The problem was, is I saw God as not able to do that. When I came to the point and said, okay, God, I surrender to the truth that you can do anything if I simply say yes. You know, I heard someone say that God doesn't call us according to our ability, but our availability. All he wants us to say, here am I, Lord, use me. And it was Romans 10, chapter, or chapter 10, verse 14, says, And how shall they hear without a preacher? It was a missions conference in my junior year in Bible college that I officially went forward and said that I'll surrender to be a missionary so thankful that I did, and uh, so thankful that God has called me and God has used me, and uh, to God be the glory, great things he had done. Yeah, I think that deserves a round of applause. Now, what we just heard was um, four different testimonies of various struggles to surrender. Some were a little more willing and ready to to surrender. Others, it took them a little bit. But all four of them, what you just heard is that while they're not living in America and they don't have the nicest things that uh, some some of us may have, 
what they do have is peace with God that they're living in His perfect will. And that's what's great. I want to ask this next question to the ladies. So hand the mics to the ladies. Ladies, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Uh, I think you're more equipped to handle this question here. Uh, we'll start with you, um, Nancy. How would you describe your neighbors and the people um, that live on your mission field? Well, I haven't been there that long, so... <laughs> um. They're very friendly towards white people. It's a tourist society, so they see white people, they think money, and their culture is to be very respectful and accepting in a way to everybody. So when we go door knocking or whatever, they're very usually pretty open to listen, and they're pretty receptive to things, but to get them to truly understand and things is a whole other story. Um, but overall, they're very friendly. They're very, they're very friendly. They're very open about things. I guess. I mean. So you would say COVID. there's been no issue with them accepting you into the community. They don't really treat you like much of an outsider. Not, not a whole lot. I mean, that's true. When we got married, one of the ladies who was coming to church, she's like, "Oh, this is Mitwi, which means in-law." So, like, they pretty much, they accepted me right away because, I mean, they know Andy pretty well there, so. So I mean, Andy had to do the hard work good. of being accepted, and you yes. just walked in behind that. <laughs> exactly. That's he did great. all the hard work. <laughs> That's great. It worked out that way. Good. So warm and friendly. Um, so good. I'll ask some more questions around. I know I'm curious about what life would be like living on a Native American reservation. I'm sure some of our folks are as well. We'll circle back around. Round to that in a minute. Now, Mrs. Tomlinson, Miss Gale, you left living in Southern California, driving a convertible, to getting on a plane and flying to China. And I saw a picture on your cell phone of what looked like a high-rise apartment building in a very crowded city. So what was life like for you there? And tell me about your neighbors, the acclimations, adjustments to the culture with that. I remember when we first went there, um, we were actually in a hotel room at first. Um, and we were kind of looking for a place to, to settle. And um, I was just looking out the window and just seeing, like you said, high-rise after high-rise after high-rise. And I just said, where do you start in a place like this? You know, you can't go door-knocking there. But, um, so, you know, you just have to do a one-on-one. And I actually put that on Facebook at the time. I just said, I took a picture, I took that picture, and I just said, where do you start? And somebody wrote back and just said, one by one. Wow. You know? So that, I thought, okay, that, they're, they're right, one by one. And so it's all about relationships. And if you think about it, it's relationships here too. Those are the people that you can really influence. And um, they are very inquisitive because we're, we're not, we don't look like them, so um, uh, they're very open. Um, we'll, we'll just go to a restaurant, and you know, you'll see people, you know, you know. And I, so I said, "You want to practice English with us?" <laughs> and so that starts a conversation, and um, and uh, you know, they're shy, and you know, but it's mostly young people. So we're here with two two old people, and. They're just 
so friendly, and they, they approach us, so it makes it really easy for us. So, um, and they, they want to know, they want to practice their English, of course, but they really do want to know about us, and, and so it, um, it really uh, creates great opportunities for us to share the gospel. That's great. That's great. Miss Katie, um, first of all, where are you from? New Jersey. You're from the state of New Jersey, so not too far from here. And cultural, culturally-wise, pretty similar. There's some differences, but pretty similar. Um, how old were you the first time you went to Fiji? Uh, 22. 22 <laughs> years old. Okay. And uh, you, you, did you go married? Were you engaged? Uh, how, what was that uh, dynamic? The very first time I went was on a missions trip. I was best friends with Brooke who was engaged to marry his brother, Joel. We were all the same year in Bible college, and they had planned this trip. Myself and another girl were invited to go along with them, and I said to my parents, I said, when, when else am I going to get to go to Fiji? This is a once-in-a-lifetime trip. Once-in-a-lifetime. Once-in-a-lifetime. And it's the summer before our senior year, and so they were, they were on board with it, and he was filling in for a missionary in Samoa. Came over to see his brother, and here we are. Here we are. <laughs> Just uh, jumping a time machine, and here we are. So you, you uh, eventually would marry, move to Fiji. Uh, you've lived there quite, quite a while. Uh, what did you tell me in the lobby last night? A total of how many years you think you've lived there? We got married in May of 07, and the, a month later in June, we left for Fiji for nine months to fill in for his parents, came back, finished up a year of deputation, and then ourselves and our oldest was a newborn, and we moved to the Samoan Islands. Okay. So what, uh, Samoan Islands, is that the same as Fiji? Or was that a different area? Okay. So let's talk about Fiji for a minute here. What are the people like there, and, and how do they accept you? Um, what are your neighbors like over there? The first word that came to our mind when we looked at these questions was loud. <laughs> There's a lot of noise, just a lot of dogs, music, a lot of um, our Indian neighbors. They, they have the Hindu festivals and things like that, that can be very loud. Um, our Fijian neighbors, they are the friendliest people I've, I've ever come across. They, they're just very warm and welcoming. They love babies. They love our children. Um, they love the fact that several of our children were born there. So to them, they're... They're true Fijian kids. Sure. And so they're very, just very friendly and loving. Um, with the Indian side of the population, it takes a little more to break down some of those barriers. Um, they're not as just openly friendly. Um, so it's like living in New England almost. <laughs> right, as far as some of that coldness of, of neighbors, yeah. yeah. So, but the average neighbor is warm and friendly and loud, 
and likes to party. So it's like living in a college dormitory, <laughs> kind of. Okay, yeah, that's great. So um, it kind of gives you an idea of what it's like to live in uh, some, of these, some of these places. And it sounds like you all have been very accepted where you are. Brother uh, Roe, I wish your wife was here to answer that question. For sake of time, we'll move on to the next one, and we'll get you in here uh, with this next question here. Uh, we'll start with Brother Magnarell again. What is the best part uh, for you about being a missionary? What are some of your favorite things that you get to do in your uh, weekly, daily, whatever it would be, monthly, your regular work there as a missionary? Yes, you gave these to us ahead of time. Um, there's a lot of things I enjoy about being a missionary. Back when I was single, I used to say, God gave me everything I ever wanted except a wife so far. I had everything a single guy could possibly desire. Loved the job, loved studying the Bible, liked preaching, like being able to minister to the people, like being able to help people and visit with people and things like that. And now I have the family and the and the kids and uh, there's really nothing else to desire but to serve God more. Um, I like a lot of things about the ministry, as Nancy had said. The people are friendly and things, and just any way we get to serve. We like the bazaars that we get the opportunity to do. I like to cook, and we used to make all kinds of peanut brittle and fudge and candies and all other kinds of things, and then pass out chick tracks and use that as a way to minister at the local bazaars and things. Of course, with COVID and things, the uh, bazaars and stuff have been shut down this year and things like that, but we're always trying to cook or bring food to people or have people over, things like that. The spaghetti sauce, we'll give it away, um, things there. But also, too, before I close it out, I also like, I like this. I like furlough at times on the field in our slow place when it feels like we're not doing much. It encourages me to remember being able to be in churches and have the team groups out and being able to encourage individuals along life's way that we get to hear about later and how God just uses that in their life. And sometimes I think if that's all that happens, then it's enough. Amen. Amen. Brother Tomlinson? I love, um, what I love about being a missionary pastor is I love, I love the fact that um, even uh, at this period of life, God allows me to, and my wife, God, God allows us to travel to other countries to take the gospel to people that um, literally wouldn't have the opportunity to help uh, young pastors. I miss pastoring at times, but in the providence of God, he's taken me away from pastoring one church, and I'm able now not only to pastor a staff, but to pastor 70, 75 different guys, you know, that that um, we're able to help uh, to get the gospel to their own people and knowing that they're doing a much better job at it than I could have done um, even had I gone and lived in that particular country. Yeah. Culturally, you're, they're able to relate uh, with the folks, but then they also have, you have their respect where you're able to teach them the practical things of how to work with people 
the do's and don'ts of ministry, if you will. So that practice and experience comes in handy. So in a sense, you are pastoring. You're just pastoring 75 pastors spread across parts of the world the rest of us can't get to. That's great. Praise the Lord. Brother Rowe, what's your, what's your favorite part about being a missionary, uh, the day-to-day? What do you enjoy about uh, the work? Well, I enjoy teaching, and I enjoy meeting people. And uh, it may not seem like it right now, but I do enjoy talking, and I, I, I enjoy speaking in both Spanish and, and English. I'm not so sure I'm particularly good at it in either language, but... Uh, I, I love meeting people. I love talking to people. Uh, I love the experiences. Uh, someone said, those who love to travel don't travel. That's probably true. The older that I get, I, I, uh, a lot of times I travel apart from my family. I don't particularly enjoy that, but I take a lot of consolation in the fact that I feel like that um, maybe I'm able to mentor someone and to help them I uh, mentioned yesterday, and I think uh, Brother Tomlinson and these other fellows, I think they've probably all alluded to it at one point or another uh, during this week, is, um, you know, Second um, Timothy 2.2, I quoted it yesterday or day before, and the things which thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who should be able to teach others also. And so I enjoy the opportunity to get to uh, share some of my experiences that I, that I had while I pastored a church, actually two churches in Canada, and uh, um, sharing things about, uh, you know, soul-winning experiences and learning the nuances of a different culture and how better learning from them. And that's one of the important things I think that I have learned ministering cross-culturally is uh, they have different ideas, and there's a reason why they have different ideas, and, and I can learn a lot from them. And... Um, Sometimes it's it's just that I need to be quiet and listen and let them teach me, quite frankly. And what I learn from them, I can pass on to somebody else, uh, perhaps as well. But one of the best parts about being a missionary is just being at peace with God about, you know you're doing His will. And I don't know, I've probably taken too much time, but... No, you're good. Just, just the other day, I was in... Um, I, I go to this particular shop. I, I have a the kind of cars that I drive. I go to this shop every week, and uh, the the owner is a good friend of mine. He's a young man, and he tries to help me. And so anyway, I'm I'm in there, and I'm I'm talking to the receptionist, and there's a guy in there, and I happen to mention my name, or she mentioned my name, and he said Jim Rowe, and he looked up, and he said, I know you. He said. You saved me. <laughs> well, I, I had to correct him. He's about 45 years old. He's got to be pretty close to that now. But he said, um, you were over here at Adams County Baptist Church uh, when I started going there, when my family started taking me there some, or my grandparents. And he said, you led me. I, I said, I didn't save you. I said, you know, Jesus did that if you're saved. And uh, he said, yeah. He said, but you led me to the Lord when I was 12 years old. And so sometimes things come back to you like that. You know, one of my favorite verses, or one of my wife's favorite verses, really, and she could quote it better than I, but cast thy bread upon the waters, for after many days thou shalt find it. And uh, so that's just just sometimes you you get an unexpected blessing like that. I didn't remember that at all. But... uh, 
those, he did. Those <laughs> things come if you're faithful in ministry for many, many, many years. And uh, that's, the, that's the reward of staying at it. And uh, Brother Magnarelli, you mentioned in, when you answered the question that getting to minister to teenagers here and there, and I think for you and I, and Brother Deku as well, we're younger men, uh, this is what we get to look forward to is uh, that one day getting to see the fruit. This is an encouragement to us to be faithful. Brother Deku, favorite part about being a missionary? What's, uh, what's the favorite part of your day-to-day uh, when you're on the field getting to minister there in Fiji? This sounds uh, carnal and fleshly, but uh, the food you get to eat. Man, whew. We go from church to church on furrow, especially in uh, the northeast. You all can cook. You guys can cook. Praise the Lord. But not only that in America, but different countries around the world. And we get to eat. Praise God. I know that sounds terrible, but that, I love being able to eat. And they can cook in the islands and... Every time we go to their house, they have so much food. So if you don't have an appetite, you can't be a missionary. I'm sorry. Brother Deku, let me pause you there. <laughs> Miss Katie, how far along are you? 30 weeks. Brother Deku, how far along are you? <laughs> <laughs> I can tell we both like to eat, amen? amen. So uh, we've gotten to know each other. I can ask him that. He knows it's, it's, it's meant and fun. So that you, you enjoy the food. Praise the Lord. Now, I would say, where do you start when I say about being a missionary. We were just talking about this today. Um, we were in American Samoa, and there was a man named Malaki, which is Malachi in English, and his wife named Vera, and we just had them over our house, and I did Bible studies with them, and, and they really didn't want to do it, and they were kind of haphazard, and uh, my wife made Christmas cookies with her. And to make a long story short, they're now serving as uh, pastor and pastor's wife. All the way back from then to now. And I told her, I said, if I called him up at 3 o'clock in the morning and said, man, at the airport, come get me, he'd be there in an instant. And because we were the people that God used in their lives, it's like we have this connection that nobody else does. And there's a guy in uh, Fiji, a Muslim guy that got saved several years ago. And before we left... Uh, he got up, and, you know, he's not a public speaker. He's a mechanic, you know, and he hates getting up in front of people. And, man, he had everybody in tears because he basically just said, so thankful that God sent the Deku family to Fiji. He said, because if God hadn't sent the Deku family to Fiji to tell me and my family about Christ, he said, I don't know where we'd be today. And, you know, I, I told my wife, I, she wasn't in there because she was with the kids. I said, you know, it's reasons like that that we're missionaries. So the day you want to quit, just remember that. The power of changed lives. And not only that, but to see them have a burden for their own people. Uh, two weeks ago, he texted me and said, I just led my Muslim li- uh, mother to the Lord. For years, she wouldn't listen to him uh, present the gospel. But several weeks ago, she was open. He said that's the only time she listened before she cut him off. And I, and I told her, I said, it's what it's all about. And I would also say preaching and teaching the Word of God, no matter where it is. If I'm at someone's door, if I'm in a church service, if I'm in a camp ministry, if I'm in a school assembly, if I'm in a locked prison cell, not sure if I'll see my family again, or whatever it is, or I'm on an airplane, being a missionary is the greatest thing you could do. And, uh, you know, I heard a pastor say that this church is not paying me to be a pastor. This church pays me so I can do God's work. I think it's the same thing as a missionary. 
you're not necessarily paying us to be missionaries, but you're taking care of our physical needs so that we can do God's work. That's great. Amen. Well, we're going to skip down a few questions here and um, uh, try to add some levity to the evening. Uh, Brother uh, Magnarello or Mrs. Magnarello, you all pick who wants to share this. Uh, and same thing along here, husband's wife, you guys pick. Tell me a funny story, something really funny that's happened to you uh, on the mission field. You want me to come back to you, Brother Magnarello? Let's say, let me pass. I've been thinking on that one for a while, and for some reason it's been hard to come okay. up with. Okay. Sometimes when they're not funny to you, they're funny to everyone else. So just be mindful of that. All right. Uh, I'll let, wh- which one of the three you would like to go? Brother Thompson? We, we could do it real quickly. Uh, uh, usually when, when missionaries talk about things that are funny, a lot of times it has to do with uh, some thing they did with the language that was incorrect. And so for mine, this goes to Cantonese, not, not Mandarin. I don't know how to say diarrhea in Mandarin, and I don't plan to learn. Okay, to say <laughs> the difference between the word diarrhea and the word hungry in Cantonese, I'm going to tell you what they are, okay? Tongo, tongo, tongo. Two low tones, tongo. That's hungry. To, same tone, same word. Ngo, raise that tone from ngo to ngo. Just raise it up a little bit. You just went to diarrhea, okay? So my wife would never say hungry in, uh, in Cantonese when we lived in Hong Kong. They speak, they speak Cantonese in Hong Kong. They speak Mandarin in, in Guangzhou where we've been the last several years. So we've two different languages here. We deliberately said we're not, even gonna, we're not going. I don't want to know how you say it. Uh, so after the services on Sunday, we, <laughs> we would always go to, to eat after the service. And um, there was a restaurant across the street, Chinese restaurant, of course, and we would go over to that Chinese restaurant, and we'd have several tables that were reserved for us over there, and people would go over there and, and eat. And then we'd come back and have an afternoon service because they're, they're traveling from a long ways and that sort of thing. So our evening service would be about 2, two 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So one Sunday morning, I preach. Of course, I've got a translator. Uh, you know, we have a great service. People are saved. I mean, it was just a wonderful service. And then I said, I said, okay, it's time for us to go. You know, we're dismiss the service. We're gonna go. We're gonna go eat. And I said, are you hungry? <laughs> but yeah, that's what they did. <laughs> and I said, I thought, I think I didn't say hungry. <laughs> Hungry? Tongoma? Are you hungry? Tongoma? Are you? Do you have diarrhea? (laughs) So for the future Sundays, I just said time to go eat. (laughs) I'll see you back here after after lunch. That's good. Okay, hers is a little different. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Is yours better than his? That was embarrassing. That was embarrassing. We want to hear yours. Go ahead. Um, same situation. We were just just there, just a um, very short time. We were in language school, and so we were practicing at a McDonald's restaurant. We took our whole family. We were at McDonald's, and um, so, you know, of course, we, we tried to order in Chinese. Anyway, so, you know, again, they want to practice their English, so they came out to our table where we were eating, 
and they said, you know, talk, you know, how do you, how come you know the language, yada yada. But then they they saw us eating, and, and then she said, um, well, this is what I thought she said. Okay, I thought she said, how many dishes, Chinese dishes, do you know how to cook? And I said, so I would say, you go guiding. I know how to speak ca- cashew chicken and chow ngao yolk. I know how to uh, stir fry beef. Mao pa dao fu. You know, uh, tofu, you know. So, and, uh, and as I go, got to about the third one, her eyes got bigger and bigger and bigger. And I'm going, what did you think I said? What, do you, what was your question? And she said, I asked you, did you eat before you came here? Amen. That's great. Brother Rowe? Well, Brother Tomlinson reminded me of something with his illustration, and I'll just share it briefly because I'm not so sure that the the other one that I had more or less prepared is really all that funny. But uh, in language school, um, we went to a particular church that had been started by another missionary out of our church. We were in Costa Rica. We were not in our target country, but we were there for a year to learn Spanish. And um, after a few services, I met a man from Spain, and he didn't speak any English, and I really didn't speak very much Spanish. And I asked my missionary friend, uh, I said, um, you know, I, I know how to say hello, I know how to say goodbye, I know how to say good evening, I know how to say God bless you, but can you tell me something to tell brother so-and-so before uh, I leave tonight, uh, other than just the basic greetings and goodbyes that, we, that we've learned so far? And he said, tell him this. He said, que tenga diarrea todo la semana. And um, what that translates to is, uh, have diarrhea all week. <clears throat> and when I told him that, immediately he looked over at Brother Ron, and um, so he knew exactly where that came from. So, anyway. But I felt a little bit exploited. You were definitely um, taken advantage of. There was another time more recently, uh, this has been probably three years ago, but um, I had a visa in our target country uh, that I received when I got there, and I'd been there almost 30 days, and I went to renew it, and uh, the office was closed because it had come some really, really severe rainfall, and so much, it was, it was very rare that this part of the country receives this much rainfall. And they actually closed the immigration office. And it also happened to fall near a weekend. So when I went back on Monday, uh, there was a line from here to the back end of the church. And I knew that I didn't get there in time uh, before they would close. I, I, I wouldn't get processed. So I went back the next day. Uh, at about um, probably about 6 a.m., and I waited in line for a couple of hours before they even opened, and I was still way back in line. And when I got to uh, actually my turn to be before the um, the immigration official, um, there were two ladies, and I had my stamps that I had bought at a, at a different place uh, for them to put on my document to renew my visa, and they said, "Oh, you don't have any medical insurance." And she said, you have to go buy medical insurance. Well, 
I was I had somebody waiting. We were going to travel eight hours, and we wanted to do as much of it as we could could before uh, dark because transportation after dark there is rather difficult. It's rather dangerous, and so I had a I had a car waiting uh, to take me and another friend eight hours away. And it's eleven o'clock, and they close at twelve noon. And she said, "You have to go." So she gave me an address. I went to a different part of the city. I went to the address. And uh, they said, no, you can't do that here. So they sent me somewhere else. When I got there, the person that was uh, selling insurance was out to lunch. And so I waited around for a few minutes. And, uh, and this is a different part of the city. I only had about an hour, hour and maybe maybe ten minutes. And so um, finally she comes back and she sells me the insurance. And she's telling me how wonderful it is and, and how what all it will cover and everything. And I said, that's just great. And I said... I am a little bit in of a hurry, and so I found a BC taxi, which is a guy with a bicycle, and it's got a little uh, long seat in the back for one or two people. And uh, this guy, this guy was probably about my age, but man, he was in shape, and and we just zoomed across town there, and about ten minutes away, he had me back there about quarter to twelve. I'm sitting back there again, and we go in. I go into the room, and the lady looks at my stuff, and she says um, to another couple, would you leave the room? And I thought, this is not good. And she closed the door, and she said, I owe you an apology. This is rare. This, this is really rare when you're dealing with customs and immigration, immigration people. She says, I owe you an apology. She says, you're a Canadian citizen. Your visa is good for 90 days. And I didn't tell you half of all that I went through that morning. But anyway, it was a relief. And I said, oh, okay, okay, then I can go. And she says, no, no. She says, you paid for these stamps. I have to give you these stamps back. And I said, it's okay, it's okay. She says, no, it's not okay. So I had to sit down and so it was about 12.05 when I got out of there. But uh, anyway, I got my stamps back, and we got on the road. Amen. But that to me is kind of funny now. Yeah, all the, the time, not so much. You had to do unnecessarily. <laughs> funny story. Dekus. Okay. Um, we were, we had rented a small apartment behind the house where we were staying to use for um, church fellowships, ladies' meetings, guests that would come. And there was an evangelist and his wife preparing to come and do several meetings around Fiji. And so we were last minute preparing this apartment, and the light bulb was out in the bathroom. And so we had put the kids to bed. My husband was standing up on a stool, changing this light bulb. I was standing there with the extra bulbs, and he just stopped and stared right by my feet. And I said, <laughs> I knew something just <laughs> skittered across. I said, what was it? He's like, don't panic. It was just a mouse. Okay. So I said, we have guests coming we can't just leave this thing in here knowingly that it's in here and they, they're coming tomorrow. We have to get it out. So he sent me back to our house 
get a broom and a bucket <laughs> and a flashlight. So I got the flashlight, and it was under the bathroom vanity, and I saw just this little tiny thing back under the bathroom vanity. And he goes, okay, do you want to shush it out with the broom or put the bucket over top when it comes out? And I didn't want to be so close to it to have to put the bucket over it. So I said, I'll do the broom. I thought that was safe. (laughs) So at first I'm just trying to hold the broom one-handed and kind of get it out, but it wasn't coming out. So then I really got the broom in there and I skidded it out. Well, I think I tripped the poor thing up and it just kind of rolled out and it was stunned and I panicked. I panicked a lot. And I just started flinging the broom. (laughs) And and I'm like, and I'm screaming, I got it, I got it, I got it. And he's like, he's like, be quiet. The neighbors are going to think I'm beating you. But I was so proud of myself that I got it without his help. Because needless to say, we did not ever need that bucket. I mutilated the poor thing. (laughs) But but it was mouse-free for our guest, and I was very pleased with myself. (laughs) Excuse me a minute here. Angela, are you taking notes? (laughs) Amen. Okay. All right. Let's move on here. Let me ask another question here. Um, Take about 60 seconds apiece, if you guys could, or less, and just sum up for us, Brother Magnarola, we'll begin with you. Share, share with us a victory uh, that comes to mind of great note within the last year or two uh, from your time of being a missionary there. Well, there's been, of course, where we're at, everything's shut down because of COVID. There's kiosks at the entrance to every village. Unless you're a village member, you're not allowed in, and all kinds of things going on with all that. It's, the restrictions are a lot tighter where we're at. Anyways... There was a gentleman, an elderly gentleman, who came over to the church one time, and he was wondering why other churches weren't having services and things like that. He was a little bit uh, upset at all the regulations, as were we, but we didn't really say anything. So um, we got to talk to him, and then we went back to visit him. When we went back to visit him, he got saved. And then um, same year or a couple months ago, he actually passed um, because of COVID. And so I was one of the gentlemen that's in heaven now because of you guys. It's happened to a couple elderly got saved this year. Praise the Lord. Brother Tomlinson? Of course, the uh, COVID uh, has affected all of us. And uh, but, but, you know, it's important for us to remember that God is still in, in control and he's still working. And so I think the victory for us over the last year has been uh, the fact that in spite of COVID, uh, in spite of the fact that all of my meetings and our meetings uh, out of the country have been canceled, um, n- numerous meetings were canceled in 20, uh, 2020, um, several different countries, but we have enabled, actually, as a result of missions conferences like this that we were in that we would not have been in, we've met people like these, uh, these missionaries and uh, gotten to know them and been able to um, uh, take on some of their national pastors, uh, helping them then to be able to get their people. And then secondly, I guess the, the real victory has been the fact that not in every case, uh, this is not the case perhaps in Bangladesh, a couple of other places, but several of the countries that we work in, the missionaries have had to leave and the, the nationals are doing uh, 
uh, as well or better. And one of them that you guys would know is Johnny Esposito in, 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 in Laos, uh, in, in the country of Laos. And um, we support probably 10 of his national pastors. We, 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 we're very heavily invested in Laos. And um, Johnny's just, he's, he's sending me stuff almost every week, at least, at least once or twice a week. I'm sure he is you as well. Uh, this last weekend, they had a number of people baptized, and uh, Johnny tells me we talk on we talk pretty regularly on, on the phone. And Johnny said, uh, even though he's stuck in the states, can't get back, has not been able to get back yet. Uh, Johnny said they're they're doing as they're, he said they're actually doing better uh, now that I'm not there. And of course, which doesn't mean he doesn't he shouldn't go back. It just means that you know these guys have really stepped up to the plate. Yeah, the training wheels have been taken off. Yeah, yeah, they're doing well. Yeah, and that, you know, unfortunately that's not the case in every, every place, but a lot of places it is. They're doing great, uh, even though the missionaries had to leave. Brother Rowe, what, what would, how would you answer that about the greatest victory you've seen in the last year? Well, one of the things that, um, I mean, we started off doing was uh, Bible Institute. We started with two in our home, um, and that thing grew, and we have had over 70 graduates, and I had a part in all of that, um, either in the facilitating of the class, uh, you know, arranging for someone to go and teach the class, maybe um, basically we have 30, 30 credit hours. It takes basically 30 months to do that. One week out of each month, uh, three hours a night or each day, as the case may be, and a final exam. Um, I got um, one of our graduates, um, done a lot of work with him in his church on the eastern part, in the eastern part of the country, and he has a group of 20-some students uh, in the Bible Institute, and they're in their second year, and this is the first generation of students, and I have had absolutely no contact at all. I have not taught a class. I've not arranged for anybody to teach them or to send someone to help them they are doing it 100 percent themselves and uh, they're doing quite well and i think that is a great victory for us praise the lord praise the lord for the day great victory of the last year something god's doing well, like all there. of us the COVID has changed everything we were supposed to go back last year in april here we still are but you know, um, Romans 8:28 says, "We know all things work together for good." And we purchased the piece of property. The church did, and the lady we purchased it from agreed to allow us to make payments to her instead of going to the bank. And I thought, with all the loss of job and everything, we just wouldn't be able to pay her every month. But I think the Lord has been able to pay her every month. The people have been faithful to give. They've been faithful to get it uh, paid off, and they're excited about that one acre of property for. A fourth of what it's worth. So we're so thankful for that answer to prayer. And then also to a relay that uh, we had a couple of guys in our church that were helping me out. But now they're the ones doing the preaching. Now they're the ones leading things. In, and it's a great opportunity for them. Um, they said, well, what are we going to do? I said, well, you're going to preach. And they said, really? I said, yeah, you're going to preach. So I'm thankful that the Bible Institute is still going on. It's online. And that's still meeting. I'm thankful that uh, the churches are still meeting. Uh, they're still witnessing. They're still soul winning. Um, I tell them all the time, I go, listen, the churches that we've been involved with, they've never been ours. They've always been God's. 
And the Lord Jesus Christ has been the head of him. And he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He said, you still got the Lord. You still got the word of God. And there's no time to lose. So we're just thankful for that. Amen. So we're going to be out of here in about 10 minutes or so. Okay, just so everyone's aware. This isn't going to run forever. All right. Uh, but I, I want to get two or three more questions in here. So we're going to do these kind of rapid fire. Okay. So I want all the missionaries here to answer uh, no context, no story, just give us the item, okay? What is the craziest thing you have eaten on the mission field? All right? Go ahead. Um, they have a lot with blue corn. They do a kneel-down bread, and it's mixed and wrapped in um, corn husk, and it's a blue mush. Maybe it's more just the texture. It's not horrible, but that's probably. Okay. Same for you. Okay. Chicken feet. Fung chow, we call it. Chicken, chicken feet. feet. Yep. Yep. Chicken feet. And then uh, my wife mentioned mapa dalfu. It actually is a delicious meal, a delicious uh, dish. But I love the, the, the actual name of that, mapa dalfu, translates to this. Old woman with pock-marked face. That old one with pockmarked face is delicious, though. We'll take your word for it. Brother Rowe? Uh, one of my first trips uh, to the country, uh, Melissa and I were seated together uh, around the table. Um, we had something that we, we really didn't know what it was. Uh, it wasn't the best food I ever tasted. Uh, someone said that they had killed it that day. We think it was a fowl, but we don't know what kind. And... The lights went out um, as we were getting ready to eat, so we couldn't even see it. But that's probably the craziest. Okay. Sea turtle. Sea turtle. Okay. All of it? Not all of it. Okay. All right. That's fair. That's interesting. Okay. All right. So we're going to do two more questions here. And, uh, church, if you could get, begin to get ready, I'm going to ask them how we can pray for them. And so have a pen and paper ready to write with uh, in a moment or take, take it down on your phone. But before we get to that question, uh, here's a question I'd like to ask you all to take a minute and just open up and share with us. And, you know, you can take more than a minute if you need to, uh, but just share with us from your heart. What has been the biggest challenge over the last year or two uh, there on the mission field? Help us understand what life is like and maybe some of the hardships. The Magnarella? Honestly, maybe because it's so prevalent right now. I know I said it in the slides and things, but our health, and it's not some new thing or anything like that. Actually, several people in this church have kind of had the same thing or the same symptoms, and a lot of other people have had it, but it's hit us hard over the last year. And um, We've had many trips to Phoenix, doctors, five-hour drives, and uh, different things like that, and then trying to manage with those things going on. It's been the biggest hurdle we've ever gone through. Okay, health. Brother uh, Thomason, let's have, maybe you can use Brother Rose mic. I think we're having some trouble with your mic there. Probably the biggest challenge for us this, this past year has just been the fact that the countries are all closed and um, travel is restricted. As I mentioned earlier, we had uh, flights canceled to... Uh, Meetings canceled in the Philippines, China, Hong Kong, uh, Ukraine, Poland. 
just several different countries that are and and, now, and Australia and then Canada uh, as well, uh, where we just can't get into them, and so that's been very difficult. Um, but um, again, that's a big challenge. I guess in the past year, COVID has affected uh, the economy. Was already not very good. Um, it has become worse. There are people that uh, we know that wait in line to get into a store for maybe six hours. They get into the store and there may not be anything on the shelf but a jar of mayonnaise. Uh, there's been a change in, in uh, the money and um, how they do things. And plus, uh, there have been other difficulties. And, of course, there's a difficulty of travel, uh, not just from here to there, uh, which is right now, I think, nearly impossible. Um, but uh, interprovincial travel has been locked down. Uh, they've had, in the last couple of months, uh, a real spike in the number of COVID cases. And um, I'm told that uh, in some places it's, it's, really, it's really getting bad. I don't know. Uh, then again, it may be a pretext to keep things shut down. We don't know. Certainly it's a spiritual attack. Uh, I believe that this whole thing may be uh, Satan's device to, um, to attack churches. And, uh, but we, we knew we were in a spiritual warfare. And uh, I believe that man's extremity is God's opportunity. I, I believe that God's still working and there's some wonderful things. I get reports of people getting saved all the time there. Amen. Praise the Lord. Greatest challenge for you. Uh, April 2019, my wife got the tendon in her right hand, so her hand was just hanging like that, couldn't move it. So we went all over Fiji trying to find some way they could do the surgery. Nobody could do it. So what do you do? Well, the Lord worked it out for us to be able to go to Australia uh, to get the surgery done. The problem was, what do we do with our six children? And the Lord worked it out that my other brother Joel was there with his wife. Uh, So we're just thankful that even though we have that struggle there, our God is still provided. And then, of course, with COVID, Fiji closed the middle of March, and nobody is allowed to go in. Uh, so the, the question is, well, what do you do in the meantime? You know, where do you go? And a lot of our people are facing economic issues, economic, uh, because Fiji relies so much on tourism. And we're the tourist town. Uh, we're the tourist city. The main airport is in our city. So Fiji is about a million people, and we get about 700,000 visitors a year and that's just shut down totally shut down uh, but we're just thankful that even in the midst of this time uh, god has provided opportunities to go to places we never thought we could go even in here in america and be involved with different things so we're so thankful that even in the midst of the challenges god has provided Well, we want to end on this note and uh, we'll start down here whether you're giving us a prayer request about your ministry or about uh, you personally, we want to make sure as a church family we know after this conference how to pray for each of the four of you. So uh, take a moment and share with us some uh, bullet point prayer requests that we, our people can write down and, and pray for. Brother Magnarella. Uh, just continue to pray for souls to be saved and for God to build his church and uh, obviously work in hearts and lives and then pray for everything that's going on in our lives. For us personally, we would certainly appreciate if you'd pray for us, pray for our, um, um, pray for our ability to get back to the, uh, uh, back into other countries where we uh, desire to be. Uh, pray for our family, our uh, our children, our grandchildren. 
um, pray for us that we that God will open up doors for us. We are we're we're opening we're seeing open doors uh, as far as getting opportunities to go to missions conferences and to be able to present our, our ministry and our work in in uh, different churches like yours. And that's been that's been encouragement, excuse me, and a help and a blessing. As far as for the ministry, pray that those doors would get open, uh, that those countries would get open. The people in, in in other countries, they don't have a stimulus package, they don't have a um, a stimulus check coming, they don't have a welfare. Um, we are um, in the states. We're able to. Um, Johnny's got a, Johnny Esposito's been here recently. You know, he's got something now. He's calling Operation Compassion, I think, and and uh, and we're able to to. Um, finance get some money to help people that literally are starving to death i mean there's one of the guys that we support in 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 uh, the country of communist law where, where where johnny works for example that's been in prison for over a year now and uh, still hasn't been charged our ministry provides the money uh barnabas 1040 provides the money through johnny to get to his his uh, family so we provide the food and and uh and things for his wife and his three children there are uh, many people that are that are uh, suffering in other countries, and um, we just we just were able to fly a, uh, to reunite uh, one of our pastors uh, in Bangladesh, whose wife is in the Philippines, and we were able to finally, after a year now, get her out of the Philippines back to Bangladesh. But he even once once it opened up enough that she could come, he didn't have the money to get her there, and uh, and so there's just all kinds of things that are going on in these other countries that. Um, we have it. We 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 don't have any problems at all here in the states compared to what's going on over there, and so pray for pray for the the the, the doors to open, the, this COVID thing to get over with, and for these countries to be able to get back to somewhat normalcy. I would say amen to those comments. Um, we uh, uh, are praying for our friends and pastor friends and leadership there uh, that they might. Um, you know, have just have enough to eat, uh, to be able to have access to, to things that they truly need. Um, we also have three ongoing church plants that have been affected because of the shutdown of interprovincial travel. Um, we pray that that will open up, and we ask you to join with us in that. And then, of course, where Melissa and I might go from here, um, we've always been open to the idea of of going to other countries. In fact, we would desire one of the great dreams that we have is to train uh, the nationals that we are working with uh, to, to start uh, a school to train um, uh, cross-cultural missions uh, so that uh, they'll know how to minister as missionaries in other countries. We believe that Americans aren't the only people on the face of the earth that have the responsibility to do the Great Commission, that every believer has the responsibility to communicate his faith. And that's what we try to transmit. And we believe that, that God can take some of these people and transplant them to some of the countries where they can get into. And so that's one of our dreams is to start a, uh, a missions training school. And, uh, so that, uh, and that uh, the works that are already there will continue to become self-supporting. And so we're just excited about what God has done, and we're excited about the future. And we believe that, um, um, you know, with your, with your help, your prayers, mainly your prayers, that uh, we'll see him continue to do great things um, through these people. God bless you. Um, 
I was just going to say real quick, as you just pray for your missionaries, um, you know, just, I think, specifically to pray for the, the wives, um, you know, just speaking with other ladies and things, I think loneliness is such a, a hard thing for a lot of missionary ladies, you know, um, we were sharing a little bit about this at lunch today that, you know, our husbands, they have this this great burden from God and they have this vision and they go out and they just want to get the job done and and our responsibilities don't change a whole lot. You know, we still are first to be what our husbands need us to be and, and our children and we're still doing those things that we would do here with meals and keeping our home and schooling the kids, but we're trying to do it in another culture, in another country. And things that we took for granted of just being able to go to the grocery store and get this, this, and this, and you can't do that anymore. And those challenges just grow. And just talking with so many um, other younger wives and mothers that, it's just so very, very discouraging to many of them. And, um, you know, so I think just pray specifically for the wife as well, that she would just first, that her heart would be drawn to the Lord and that, um, you know, our strength is nothing. That if we're not where we need to be with the Lord, that we'll fail miserably in, in everything. Um, but just that she would have that that same willingness, that same surrender to be where God put them to be. God isn't going to call your husband and, and not you. You're, you're a team, and you need to be a part of that, and you need to feel that this is your home and this is where God has your family, but sometimes that's a whole lot easier to say than to do in the daily you know, I, I had a, a lady at a church say to me one time, you know, wow, you're you're just a mom like us. <laughs> you know, she meant it so sincerely. But I think a lot of times, you know, myself included, you know, that we think these missionary wives are, you know, a different breed of women, and and we're not. You know, we have concerns with our kids' health. We get tired. We get you know, all the things. And so, I don't know, that's just what I thought specifically for the wives, just that God would be that strength for them in, in those times when they're lonely and frustrated and so discouraged that God can God can fill that cup for them and and just that they would be renewed and that they would continue to have that, that burden to be where God wants them to be. Amen. The mission field can be a lonely place. It can be discouraging. Sometimes you want to quit. We're thankful that we have faithful people that pray for us. And uh, like I said Sunday morning, we love when people send us an email, or even a text message, simply saying, we are praying for you. That's unbelievably encouraging. And I believe prayer is more important than money. So just real quick, just to give you a couple of prayer requests, pray her, of course, for baby number seven. 
coming in May. And uh, we have also a little uh, something for you to pray about. We can't decide on a name. <laughs> I have a name. She has a name. As soon as she comes my way, your prayers will be answered. We could have a business meeting right now. <laughs> Pass out ballots. Amen. So just pray for the baby, if you would, and then pray for us to have wisdom about going back to Fiji. As it states right now, no non-citizens can come without special permission from the government. We are not citizens, uh, so we can't go back. If we were able to get permission, and as it stands right now, we would have to pay over $25,000. When you uh, Airfare is like three times what it usually is, and then quarantine for two weeks in a hotel and also three COVID tests. Um, so we want to go back, but it just uh, is difficult at this time. So, And also, of course, pray as um, we just pray for the people there to be faithful. And we just want to get used as well, wherever we're at, uh, just to be a witness for the Lord. We're serving in a few camps this summer, and, and uh, we're doing our online videos with the people in Fiji as well. Let's give our missionaries a round of applause. You, you can slip to your seats, sit back to your seats, thank you. Well, I'd like for us, before we are dismissed, to take a minute and pray for our missionaries and the needs that they have given us. How many here feel like you have a better understanding of life as a missionary because you were here this evening? And we need to make sure we pray for our people. No, I was thinking as these uh, folks were answering these questions, uh, these are four of our 53 missionaries. And as Mrs. Deku was talking about loneliness, I wonder how many of our missionary wives on the other side of the globe right now are experiencing that. And so let's take the time to pray for them and consider them. And uh, let's, let's pray right now for our missionaries if we could. Let's bow our heads. Lord. Thank you. I know my heart's been stirred as I've listened to these folks just open up and share, uh, Lord, about what goes on in their day-to-day and the various cultures they're a part of. Uh, Lord, it's apparent that these uh, folks miss their people on their fields, and the COVID restrictions are keeping them from their people. Lord, it's great to hear of national men and women who are stepping up and growing and being pushed out of the nest a little bit and learning how to fly. And Lord, lead their churches. We rejoice in that. But Lord, we pray for these folks that they'd be able to get back to the field and Lord, get back to what they want to do. And Lord, we pray for our missionaries that they'd be encouraged. Lord, may we comb through that missions display in the back and get cell phone numbers and email addresses. And Lord, may we reach out to these people and love on them and care for them. May we learn their children's names. May we learn their cares. May we humanize them and not just see them as money we put in the offering plate. And Lord, help this conference to stir our hearts to be more passionate in our prayer time. Lord, thank you for how you've worked in our midst. Thank you for how you have stirred our hearts. Lord, may this not be a temporary stirring, but something that provokes us to action that's permanent. In Jesus' name, amen.